Hi, you're listening to Becoming Unapologetically Me, where you will hear all about gaining confidence through mindset, energy, and structures, and how to use that to live life and business truly on our terms. We're going to meet some amazing guests on this journey who will share their stories candidly with us. We're delving into the often hidden and taboo subjects of trauma, abuse, illness, grief, and more but making sure to always focus on how to transform these experiences into personal growth and expansion. Hello and welcome back to Becoming Unapologetically Me. It's so lovely to have you back sharing this journey with us as we learn all about everything that it takes to step into our power and truly, truly become unapologetically me or you or whoever you might want to be. So today I wanted to talk to you a bit about limiting beliefs. So this is a a subject or a, a phrase, shall we say, that is bandied about quite a lot. I think it's become quite a a popular phrase, but I'm not sure that everybody understands what that is or where it comes from or the impact of limiting beliefs. And so I thought today would be an amazing opportunity to really dig into this and understand what does that mean? What really is it? I think we all only have the lens of our own life experience with which to look at the world and to apply our interpretation. And this is why one person's perception or one person's point of view can be so different from another's. And often why you could find that people with your absolute best interests at heart might suggest a certain course of action to you that doesn't really feel in alignment with who you are and where you're going. It's not because they're misintentioned or they've got any bad intentions towards you in any way necessarily. It can just be their own experience of life, their own fears, their own concerns, their own hopes and dreams. And they end up projecting those onto you because that's the only way that they can look at life. And I think all of us have been through trauma in some shape or form. And when I've spoken about this subject on social media and in various circles that I move in, sometimes get some funny looks with that because I don't, I definitely think that not everyone associates or identifies with having been through trauma or traumatic experiences. Because so often we think, when we think of trauma, we think of abuse, we think of major events that have happened in the world, think of some really big, significant, heavy stuff. And yes, of course, that is trauma. But actually, it doesn't need to be that because Gabo Mate, who's one of the people that I follow very, very closely because I absolutely love his work. I really, really resonate with him. He talks about trauma as being 
not what happens to you, but what happens inside of you as a result of what happens to you. And I think suddenly that changes the complete complexion of what we're looking at, why we look differently at the same situation from one person to another. And equally, something that I think I touched on in one of the earlier episodes, why two people who've been through the same upbringing, the same experiences, like my sister and I, can actually respond really differently because the interpretation of a particular event, i.e. the trauma response to a particular event, can be entirely different between one person and another. So what one person experiences as trauma, another person may just shrug off as though nothing major has happened, a bit like, I don't know, tripping over your toes in the garden or something. And what I found personally for me, and this is where the, the link back to limiting beliefs comes from, is that for many, many years, I was a master at suppressing my trauma. Um, and the impact of that trauma and anything and everything that happened in my life, I just pushed it down and pushed it away, put it in the kind of too difficult to deal with now box. And that was how I navigated my life up until 2007. So I was 29, uh, 31. And yeah, that was how I navigated my life, just pushing the trauma away not needing to deal with it and continuing to show up in life as the confident, go-getter, ambitious, happy, free, passionate, all those, all those adjectives that I would have used then to describe who I was. And then it was kind of like the grains of sand into a, into a cup and you keep pouring and you keep pouring and it's all fine. It's all fitting in. Give it a little shake and fit a bit more in. And finally there came a point when no more could fit in and the whole lot bubbled over. And that last few grains of sand for me was when my parents died. And then suddenly the whole lot came spilling out and it could not be contained anymore. The container was full, bursting, snapped, whatever, however you want to visualize that, but no more was going in, that was for sure. I sometimes play a bit of a game with myself. <laughs> I don't know what this says about me, but I like to try and when I'm cooking dinner, use the smallest pan that I can, which is still big enough to fit everything in, but only just. And this <laughs> kind of made me think because it's exactly what my trauma and my life was like, really. You know, you've got, you've got the pan bubbling away and the water is just at the top and you, you're cooking your pasta or your rice or whatever you might be cooking. And the water is just bubbling away right at the top. And you know, if you put another spoonful of water in, the whole lot is coming out. And this was basically my emotional situation. I was just bubbling away, just about keeping within the top of the pan. And then there was another cup of water and the whole lot boiled over, mess everywhere, all over, starchy water all over your cooker, you know, you name it. 
And that was basically what happened. The emotional responses could not stay inside anymore. They had to come out. And so, yeah, I lived my life up until the age of 31 that just about keeping within the pan. And so then when my parents died, it wasn't only grief that I needed to process. It wasn't only grief that spilled out. It was 31 years of stuff that spilled out. And our parents are, they're our safety. You know, our brain has, has two jobs. We might like to think that it wants us to, you know, do all these wonderful things and have all these experiences. But actually, the brain's not bothered about that. All the brain wants is for you to be safe and you to be in the least amount of pain. That's not necessarily no pain, but just the least amount of pain. And when you're growing up and you're a child, your brain sees your parents as that source of safety. And if there's any sensation of lack of safety from within your parents, your brain can't deal with that because that's too scary an idea to get your head around. So the brain goes, no, no, it can't be them. It must be me. And so this is where you start to form these deep set beliefs about yourself. The ones that I successfully pushed away for 31 years, but were there nonetheless. And your parents are held up by you as children as your ultimate guide to survival. Because if you don't have your parents, then that's a scary place to be. So you're faced with a choice. And that was ultimately the choice that I had. And then finally, all those bits, as well as the grief, all bubbled over. And then you're faced with a, a big choice, <laughs> age 31. Okay, I've got all this stuff to deal with. This is like trying to juggle a whole load of plastic bottles and everything's flying everywhere. It was definitely challenging. And so then you have the choice, do I let this trauma define who I am? Or do I process it, deal with it, and allow myself to feel it? And that was a really painful, but ultimately the best decision that I've ever made in my life was to allow myself to, to feel all of that. And I've got an amazing guest next week, Michelle Jane, who talks a lot about allowing us to feel all the feels. And it took me a long, long time to get to that point where I felt okay to do that. But it's such a precious, precious journey to go through that and to allow ourselves to, to feel emotions. We're so often conditioned from very early childhood that, you know, you must be happy. I mean, and I, I'm actually, I'm guilty of this myself, you know, when when my children were, were small and they'd fall over and, you know, bash their knees as, as children do and I scoop them up and I say, don't cry, don't cry, you're all right. And we're not giving our children permission to learn to feel the feels that aren't so good then. And accepting that part of the human experience is the positive, the amazing, the flying high feelings. Yes, it's that. But my goodness, it's also the opposite of that. It's okay to feel sad. 
It's okay to feel grumpy. It's okay to feel just a bit pissed off with how things are unfolding for you. That's okay. But you just make the decision that you're not going to stay there. At least for me, that was my decision. It's like, okay, gosh, this hurts. I've never had to feel this feeling before, but oh, wow, it's so, so painful. And learning it's actually okay. It's okay. And you'll come out of it as long as you let yourself come out of it. You don't hold yourself in that space. And so that was really, that prompted me to give up alcohol as well. And I come from a a family that has always enjoyed alcohol. It's a part of my family identity, I would say. But what I recognized, I wouldn't have necessarily said I was an addict, but I was definitely drinking more than was healthy. And it was the more it was the reason why I was drinking. And again, Gabo Mate is an, an amazing inspiration on this subject. And to paraphrase what he says, that addictions are behavior that a person craves or finds temporary relief or pleasure in, but ultimately is suffering negative consequences as a result of that, but yet has difficulty giving it up. It's this whole paradox of the way that you end up living your life. And for me, And for many others, I know that addiction was ultimately anesthetizing the pain of everything else that I was trying to deal with. Yeah, I I drunk before um, my parents died, but it was still anesthetizing some of the pain that I'd felt as a result of these things that I had, these beliefs about myself that I kept very successfully suppressing and with the assistance of alcohol. But ultimately, I decided that now was the time to feel all the feels and to not keep anesthetizing them. And honestly, when I made the decision to give up drinking, I cried for three weeks solid. All these emotions came up. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be heard. They wanted to be felt. Boy, did I feel them. There were moments and I thought, oh my goodness, I can't do this. But I stuck with it and I still don't drink now. And I'm so, so happy that I don't drink. It gives me amazing clarity. It gives me amazing connection to my emotions and the sensations of everything that's going on in my life. Um, And I don't feel that I need to drink in the way that I felt that I wanted to drink previously. So Although I did find it somewhat ironic, I have to say that as I was giving up drinking, I had one of the worst falls. It was in the winter and I was wearing higher heels than I probably should have done. And I fell over. Oh my goodness. I cracked, not cracked as in cracked the bone, but hit my ankle, my hip, my shoulder. It took me so long to recover from it. And I was like, oh my God, how ironic is that? That... You know, you can spend many years drinking and then your worst fall is uh, in a sober state, albeit on too high a heel. But there we go. (laughs) That was uh, quite amusing. But apart from the physical pain of that fall, it hurt going through those emotions and learning to feel all the feels, which Michelle is going to 
talk more about next week, feeling all those feels, because she's been a great inspiration to me in allowing us to really connect into that. But as I became sober and realized that, that there was actually quite a lot to me that I'd never really looked at before. Yes, I'd lived this kind of emotional high for, for many, many years and not a kind of a false high, not a kind of hectic high, but just feeling like I was riding the wave of life and feeling really good about life. Of course, I had some ups and downs still within that time, but generally I felt very confident and self-assured to who I was and everything that Helen was about. And then this crash, then choosing to become sober. But then I realized, oh my God, you're, you're actually all right, you know, warts and all. And I realized that I was really, really worth getting to know all of me, like the good, the bad and the ugly, so to speak. And I discovered that I had so much to offer the world. And that's really what this is all about. The uncovering of who I found when I started to get to know all of me, when I started to let the trauma and the emotions come up, be seen, be processed, and to embrace all of who I am. And so, yes, those limiting beliefs came up and my goodness, did they bite me in the backside for a few years. And I started for a while going down a path of allowing them to define who I was. But then through that journey of becoming sober, and this isn't really something I've talked about at all. Yeah, my, my closest friends know about this journey, but that, that is literally it. But it, it feels right to share that with you because it was all part of the journey and allowing me to feel like a mosaic, like I was a, a glass window and all the bits smashed because I definitely felt broken for a while. But then bit by bit, I could put myself back as the most beautiful mosaic and turn myself into something totally unique, totally beautiful, and a person that can share that with the world and can use the benefit of my experience, hopefully, to inspire, bring hope, create freedom for others who feel trapped by their limiting beliefs. You know, what are the stories that you're telling yourself or that you're hearing from inside when your trauma speaks to you at, at three o'clock in the morning and what's it saying to you then? Because that for me was the ultimate decision. You know, we may not be responsible for the world that created our minds, but we can take responsibility for the mind with which we create our world. And like I said at the beginning, every single person walking this world has been through some degree of trauma or other, some that off the scale amounts that we can't really even fathom if we've been fortunate enough to not have been there. But others just an accumulation of 
interpretations to situations that other people might look at and go, what's the big deal? But it's all of our interpretation based on our experience of life and the impact that that can then have. It's like a snowball effect. It just rolls and rolls down the hill, gathering speed, gathering momentum, gathering size and impacting the whole of the rest of our life until we take that time and that opportunity to say, not anymore. That's not how I want my future life to be shaped, to be guided by all of this. No, thank you. I've got a different plan for my future. And sometimes we can feel really disempowered, like we don't actually have any choice because X, Y, and Z has happened to me. But if I do nothing else in my time on this world, I really, really want to to help you see, for your family to see, for your friends to see, that you always have a choice. It might be a scary one. It might be a difficult one. It might be a painful one. Believe me, I know. I've been there. But you do still have a choice. And being able to step into that, step into that power and to, as it says on the tin, become unapologetically me because you're beautiful, all of you, all of your experiences, it all shaped who you are. And yes, you might have things that hold you down and hold you back at the moment, but those can be the most beautiful shape for who you're becoming as well. And I just want to share that message that even if it feels rubbish and it feels hard and it feels horrible right now, it doesn't have to stay like that. And there are people who can help you to move through that and to see the beauty of you and to see all of the amazing side of you because it's in there. And I just urge and encourage you to let it out because it's a beautiful, beautiful journey. And yes, it can hurt at times, but my goodness, it's worth it. So thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely loved sharing this side of my story with you. wasn't sure that I was going to share this because it is very personal and feels quite vulnerable to, to share this side of me. But it feels right to share it with you and to, to show you the path is not always smooth, but it can be beautiful if you want it to be. And keep being amazing. Keep being you. I can't wait to see you on our next episode when the amazing Michelle is going to talk to us more about grief and processing trauma and her journey through that because gosh she's an inspiring woman so I can't wait to share her story with you as we talk together next week but until then keep being amazing and I'll see you soon my lovelies take care bye thank you for listening today and I hope you found this discussion inspiring thought-provoking and motivating please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and any comment you think pertinent. And why not share the love by telling your amazing friends all about it too.
Making a high quality podcast like this takes a lot of work. That's a fact. But not when you hire Copus. With our white glove experience, we handle everything for you. From guest outreach all the way through to publishing and promotion, we handle it all. You show up to hold great interviews and build relationships with your guests, and we take care of everything else. Podcasting is not just about the audience. Every podcast interview is the start of a new relationship. With a weekly podcast, you would build relationships with 52 ideal partners or prospects through your podcast interviews over the next 12 months. Do you believe that 52 new relationships would grow your business? We do. Contact Jason at copus, K-O-P-U-S dot com and let's talk.